Hey there, product lovers. Welcome to the Product Love Podcast, hosted by Eric Bodick, co-founder and chief evangelist of Pendo and super fan of all things product. Product Love is the place for real insights into the world of crafting products as Eric interviews founders, product leaders, venture capitalists, authors, and more. So let's dive in now with today's Product Love podcast. Well, welcome over to Product. Today I'm here with Amir, who's the founder and CEO of Doist. Amir, why don't you start this off by giving us a little overview of your background? Yeah, sure. So I was born in Bosnia. I grew up in Denmark and you know, my, my real background is kind of computer science. So I started like coding when I was very young and then I started to do like side projects and then eventually ended up like building a to-do app for myself. And this to-do app basically, you know, has grown to like millions of users uh, since then. And I also like built a company of about like hundred people around it. And we are like fully remote. We have been fully remote since uh, like 2010. So, you know, over a decade in this. Uh, and yeah, we are still kind of going strong. And we also have another product called Twist, which is like asynchronous team communication. And daily, you know, I'm just like a CEO, founder, slash janitor of the company, like doing a lot of different stuff. And yeah, I also have like a huge passion for products and, you know, building great products and building something that people want to use that I myself want to use and stuff like that. So that has been a really a deep passion of mine for many years. So do it started as, as something you wanted for yourself, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So basically like I started to do this in like 2007 from my dorm room. So I was studying computer science and I just needed like a to-do app to kind of manage my projects, manage my day, manage my like, you know, life. So that's basically how it started. And I basically built it for myself. And, uh, you know, I have also like probably used it like for most days since like I started it. So yeah, I'm most like a, a super user of the tool myself. Yeah, still. Now talk to me a little bit about growth, right? You mentioned you're 100 employees now, you know, started about, you know, 13, 14 years ago, the company. How has the growth been for Doist? Has it been, you know, steady? Has it come in fits and starts? Sure. I mean, something to know is like, this was kind of a side project for me for like the first three or four years so I didn't really like see a lot of potential in Todoist itself. And, you know, this wasn't like a typical startup where, you know, <laughs> you kind of like uh, go and raise some funding and just hire a bunch of people. For me, it was just like a side project that I did on the side. And, you know, that also reflected in the early growth, like early, it didn't grow a lot. And I was like, there was a lot of stuff that were missing, like even, you know, insights, for instance, like, there was no analytics. So the way that I would do analytics is based like a query directly on the database to figure out you know, how many signups there were or like how many tasks people added and stuff like that. So it was kind of a very rough start. And then, yeah, like I had a actually other like job, like my primary job was like a CTO of a social network from like 2007 to 2010. Uh, and then like, this was kind of like a night job for me. And then when I returned back then, things really kicked off. And also a lot of stuff I learned while doing this social network, I kind of applied to to Todoist, the product. And then I also started to hire people. We started to invest a lot in like mobile, which was like, you know, growing fast at at that point. So that was probably like the biggest growth we have seen was actually around like 2013, 2014, where we kind of like, you know, hire people and like build mobile apps, create mobile apps and 
yeah. And since then, it has basically been like a continuous, like almost compounding growth. So what made you realize that there was an opportunity in the task management space? I mean, when did you have that aha moment? I mean, it took me like many years to actually get that aha moment. So, <laughs> yeah, because, you know, like a lot of like people, they just like end up creating a to-do app at some point and you never actually think like you would actually like create one of the most popular to-do apps. And there was like a kind of like a huge market for this as well. And people like really are passionate about this and you kind of like feel like you're solving a very big problem for people because organizing like life and work is a huge problem that I still think is kind of unsolved. So that's one very kind of click for me. Like there, there is probably like a huge opportunity here, but it t- took me like years to actually see that. Yeah. <laughs> so talk to me about how you funded it through the process. Like how did to do is grow? Yeah, I mean, it was basically like bootstrapped from the beginning. Actually, like I added a, a business model very early on in 2007 because I didn't want to pay for the server costs. And basically, like since then, you know, like the way that we have grown is basically like, you know, we create revenues, then we put revenues back into the company to like hire more people. And then we'll build like better stuff, get more revenues. And then like it's the loop that, that we had that. So like we have like zero, almost zero, like, external investment. The only thing that it helped along the way was like uh, equity free 40K from Startup Chile. So basically at some point, like I traveled to Startup Chile to be part of like a startup accelerator. And yeah, they gave you like 40K to be six months in Chile. So that is the only like outside investment. Everything else is basically bootstrapped and created like via the loop, you know, by the customers for the customers. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Have you, I mean, have you ever thought of taking money, especially now that you've grown to a certain scale, right? A hundred employees. I'm not sure what on the revenue side, but it has to be substantial. Have you thought about raising money? Uh, that has crossed my mind at some point, but you know, the thing is like, we also do things very differently at Duist. And, you know, one of the things I like to say is like, you know, my exit strategy is debt. So like, there's no, like, I want to, you know, like die doing this. So like, uh, I don't really have like a exit strategy. And also like, I value a lot like freedom and just like, you know, ability to kind of like just define the culture that we want, the milestones that we want, the company that we want to build and like do this like very long-term. And I feel like it's really hard to kind of find investors that are aligned with that. And a lot of times, uh, of course, like it's possible to do that, but for us, it's kind of like, it's not really worth the risk I don't want to put like the company or the mission at risk for doing that because like we have like real no need to actually get outside funding. If we did that, they would just be stored in a bank account. I don't know. Maybe it could make sense at some point, but right now it's just like, you know, we have survived so so long doing what we are doing and it goes pretty good. So maybe like uh, risking it or like, you know, getting somebody that's kind of not aligned or like pushes you to do something that you want, don't want. They say like, you know, getting like investors in is like worse than marriage because like there's no uh, <laughs> divorce. <laughs> so that is, that is true. It's a little bit harder to get divorced than a, in a marriage. So, you know, hundred people at Duist, what teams do you personally run and manage? You know, like I manage like the current product team. I'm actually also acting like a head of product. So we don't actually have, uh, yeah, we are hiring, actually have a product right now. So, <laughs> and uh, then also the design team. And then I also manage the CXO team, like the other, like we have a COO and CTO who also report to me. So basically design product and then like the CXO team. Yeah, but you're hands-on then on the product and the design side. And, and I assume have been since the beginning. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I'm like fully, fully invested in this. Yeah. <laughs> and also well, find that work like very exciting. Yeah. So what's product management like at Doist? Yeah, I mean, the thing about this is like we do things very, very differently from regular companies. So I have actually never spoke to somebody that does product like we do. <laughs> yeah, so basically like we have a special structure, which is basically like product is a side job at, at Doist. So we don't actually have like anybody almost full-time on this aspect. And then we have like a hybrid team of like different leaders inside a company. So for instance, like our CTO is part of this team. Our head of design is part of this team. Our head of integrations is part of this team. And then some other leaders as well. And basically we have like a small group that does like product discussions and like, you know, product specs. We also do like just like regular stuff like road mapping and product planning, product visioning, strategy. But yeah, it's it's very different because like we don't really have like a head of product. Like we are trying to actually like maybe change from this current structure because like this does not really scale that well because some of our people like, you know, for instance, Anna, who is head of design, she has like nine designers reporting to her. And then she also needs to do like a product work on the side, which kind of becomes like very overwhelming as the organization grows. This said, you know, like I can definitely recommend this hybrid structure. This has really worked well for us because a lot of times like you also have a problem with like alignment between like design, engineering and product. And we really don't have this problem because, you know, engineering is at the table, like, and design as well, making decisions. And you don't have, like, this battle that maybe is usually present. This said, like, this structure doesn't really scale that well. But it's worked for you up into, you know, 100 people, right? So, and now you're starting to see feel the pain? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I wouldn't say actually we are starting to feel the pain. Like, I, I think actually some of the best work we have done is actually the work that we're doing right now. Because like, you know, we have worked together for like almost a decade. So we know each other very well. We also know the product space very well. You know, but the problem is really with the structure is like, it's not really scalable, you know. that <laughs> Like it works nicely. Like we have not really hit the pain point, but like it's basically like, I think at some point, like people will burn out doing this because it's just like too much responsibility on different fronts. And then maybe you just like, begin to do a poor job because you know maybe you're not doing your core job well and then like you're not doing your like your side job well either and you know that isn't really great yeah so one of the things you mentioned that I want to get back to is remote work right you're an advocate for remote talk to me about remote at Doist what it's been like and then let's dig into and like those people that are now just kind of dabbling in remote what tips you'd have for them yeah I mean um, something to note Again, it's like we do stuff very differently. Like I think like remote is kind of a spectrum where you can have office work on one and it's like nine to five. You have, you know, the whole team there, the whole company. And then like the other extreme is basically like you have people all around the world. You're like fully asynchronous. You can work and live wherever and whenever. And that is actually like our current structure is basically like, you know, we have people in like 35, 40 countries we don't really have any, like, you don't need to, like, work at a specific time. And most of the stuff, it happens in, like, the written world. Like, we have very, very few meetings as well. Uh, so it's a really very different environment from the regular work. And we believe, based like, that this, like, our model will be the future of work. And the reason for this is kind of like that, you know, a lot of the stuff that we do is kind of deep work and, like, creative work. 
And I don't really think like nine to five optimizes for that. So we really want to kind of like enable, you know, people to use like when they feel like most creative, more standardized, then they should like go in and work. They should not be forced to work, you know, in a specific schedule. So that's one aspect. Another aspect is just like, it gives so much freedom and flexibility to people as well. So they can kind of like first plan their life and then afterwards plan their work and not do it like most office work where, you know, you first like, uh, you know, you spend like hours commuting and then like you need to have like a specific schedule. You need to go into the office work and stuff like that. Like, yeah. So, you know, that's at least like our model is like very extreme. And some other companies are are doing the similar thing as us, like Basecamp, GitLab, Buffer, Zapier. So we are definitely seeing a movement to like asynchronous first, like a remote first. How do you deal with things like collaboration, like in that kind of environment? Yeah. And I think like that's also like a broken model right now. Like people think that, you know, innovation and creativity happens like at a whiteboard. But like we believe that deep work, thinking hard about a problem, a hard problem, proposing that problem and collaborating that way is much, much better model than like this model where you're basically like forced to think on the spot and then you just like brainstorm like shallow ideas and even worse like the current environment we also have like just chat rooms you know one line thinking and just like fast communication like for us that's kind of like really bad way to kind of get like profound ideas or like innovate or like think deeply about stuff so uh, tell yeah. me how it works more at Doist. Like, how do you do it? How what, what works the best? I mean, you know, I think like Patrick Collison from Stripe uh, telling that like Stripe is kind of like the celebration of the written word. And I think like Doist is like a very similar. So like a lot of stuff happens. Like you need to be a great writer <laughs> and like you need to be able to articulate like your ideas in a written form. And this, you know, is for design. This is for product. This is for marketing this is for engineering like everybody really needs to be a good writer so that's basically what is like uh, at the baseline so then extrapolating on that and just let me see if I, I have this right you spend as opposed to brainstorming meetings whiteboards that kind of stuff there's a lot more alone time so to speak to think deeply about a subject from that you might be putting together a written proposal of some kind saying like hey here's how I think we can innovate in this area that proposal gets reviewed asynchronously by other members of the team, commented on, revised, iterated. It's kind of that kind of process where a lot of like the deep thinking happens with like a single person kind of brainstorming and then collaboration takes form over some kind of written component. Is that accurate, my guess? That is accurate. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this said like we still sometimes do meetings as well. So meetings are quite useful if you have like a disagreement, you know, or like for one-on-one -on -one meetings or like personal feedback or stuff like that. So like, I still think you need to sometimes have like the synchronous. The idea is basically that it should not be the default way that, that you collaborate. So, you know, like you should only like bring up the meeting if you're like really, really disagreeing about the direction something should take or something like that. So that is basically how we do that. And it's not like the starting point isn't the meeting. The starting point is kind of like, okay, bring forth like your idea, I bring forth mine. And then like we see if a meeting's even like necessary. So how, I'm curious, how much of your time is spent in meetings as the CEO? You know, I have like, a, I'm not sure if you know the news that are super organizers, but I have like an interview there where I share my, you know, calendar and I have like a few meetings per week. So that's it. 
so, but so, then I'm so, sure you have impromptu meetings about things that maybe you're not in alignment with someone on. So like, guess like is 10, 20, 30% of your time in meetings? Is it, you know, what might be typical 60, 70%? I assume you're not that high. I mean, honestly, like I think it's like less than 10%. That's yeah. awesome. Especially as a person yeah. who hates meetings generally. I mean, you know, not all meetings. <laughs> yeah, I, I think like some meetings are super useful, but I think like this current culture that we have of like, you know, I know some other like CEOs that they're like in meetings all day long. And I think like, you know, that first of all, like that will kill me like <laughs> to, to be part of that culture. But the other thing is like, I don't really think it's the best way to work either. So where do you spend, I'm, I'm curious now, where do you spend most of your time? Like on what kind of subjects? Yeah. I mean, uh, honestly, I spend a lot of time on things like product, like thinking about a product, helping different teams out in regards to product work. So like, I'm still like very, very hands-on like product and like yeah. also product vision, product, like major product initiatives. Like I usually also have like a, a foot in there as well. So that's one aspect. Another aspect is like, I still do actually active development. So I still spend like a few hours per day developing. So that is also like very... Oh, so you, very, do, you have your hands well in. <laughs> uh, yeah, they're yeah. in the pot. Yeah, they're in pot. But honestly, like, you know, for me, that's the stuff that I really enjoy doing is like creating, you know, imagining. And for me, you know, managing other people, like that's also like some of the core values we have, for instance, independence, like, you should not really expect to be micromanaged or managed at all by somebody else. So that's basically like what we expect from people. So you usually like don't really fit in if you need to have somebody else tell you what you need to do. So that's why also like I don't really, you know, have a lot of like stuff because I'm like very hands off. So that means like I can, you know, spend time like coding, which I find like really fun or like doing product work, like thinking about like product initiatives or like, you know, direction we should take which for me like are a lot more energizing than like micromanagement of a person. Yeah, no, I can understand that. Now, I mean, because you have this asynchronous culture too, how much of that time is spent reviewing other people's ideas and directions and proposals? Like how does that fit into your overall time? Even though it's oh. not a meeting, it's, it's kind of that kind of feedback that other people might give in a meeting. Yeah, honestly, I would tell probably like 40%, maybe okay. more. So like I spend a lot of time reading <laughs> and writing as well. So yeah, like actually the majority of my time is spent doing either reading or writing. That's interesting. I, I think it's very interesting how important the written word is in your company, right? Yeah. And honestly, I think like uh, it's really underrated because it scales so much better, especially like another thing we have actually introduced like a year ago was the handbook. Uh, so GitLab, I'm not sure if you know GitLab, but it's like a huge yeah, of remote first of company yeah. of like thousand people, something. And they have like a handbook first approach. So they basically have a handbook of like 5,000 pages or something like that. We have actually started to invest in our own. I think we only have like about 500 pages right now. But that, that has been an amazing investment because you basically like document stuff across the company. And then like, if you have a new person joining, you can just like, you know, point them in the right direction. They can find the information. And then we also have like some like, great search on top of that as well. So you can just like find stuff very easily. Yeah, so that's why I think like written is also much more scalable because basically, you know, you, you can reference to it later. And also like, if you have some really good writers writing that, then it's like usually like maybe small, <laughs> that that will be the, and yeah, so I think like even big companies, most of them at some point actually need to 
like switch off from like the verbal communication because it's just not scalable. Like that, that's at least my, my impression. Yeah, no, I think it's interesting because it does get lost. I mean, even if it's recorded, even if you're recording, you know, these zoom sessions or what have you, you know, it's not the easiest place to find information. Right. And maybe that's a problem for some people to solve and maybe people are solving it, but the written word is, is a lot more searchable, right. It leaves that whole translation step and you start, like you said, you you start building like a, a library of assets of strategies, conversations, other things that have happened that people can look to for information. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And I think also like the editing process is also really critical. Like basically a lot of times in meetings, you just get like rants or like brain uh, dumps. You don't really get like the nice package. And that's like what you can get like with written word is basically you can package it nicely, like, you know, really frame the idea correctly and maybe even like iterate on that. Of course, you know, some people are best on like the verbal front. Uh, <laughs> that is definitely true. So I think they will be like a disadvantage, but also a lot of people are weak at that. Yeah. So it's kind of like, yeah, maybe like even the remote and asynchronous and like written will actually change like company dynamics because usually like in companies you have like people that are extroverted that they succeed and maybe also better like at the verbal form like building relationships and stuff like that and maybe like in this new environment of like remote first asynchronous first it's really like people that are maybe deep thinkers great writers and stuff like that and then it doesn't really matter like that much you know your, your verbal communication so talk to me a little bit about decision frameworks right what decision frameworks do you use to guide the team do you look at things like jobs to be done how do you approach some of that? Yeah. I mean, honestly, like a lot of times that's something that we are just like still experimenting with. So like Jobs to Binam has been very influential. We are also like very good at just like sharing, for instance, like Lenny, uh, Lenny's newsletter. I'm not sure if you read that, but uh, Lenny was like one of the Airbnb, like I think early product team from Airbnb. And right now yeah, he is I, like a... I haven't read his newsletter. When I hear Lenny now, I think of a Hydra, but... Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, and but like he is based like you know world class content about a lot of different stuff and a lot of stuff like we are just sharing that and trying that out and seeing how it goes. And I think you know shape up as well. Like for instance, from Basecamp has been also a bit influential. And then you know we are also like not really afraid of just like saying you know fuck it, let's just think from the first principles and try something out. <laughs> and then you know like we end up in some place that. Not many other teams have been. Yeah, and sometimes we also try stuff that doesn't really work. Like, I think, honestly, like a lot of stuff is just like broken. Like, for instance, OKRs. I think like OKRs are just like awful. And maybe the only team that can actually make them work is like Google. And Google doesn't really, you know, like I'm not sure if you have tried to work with Google, but they don't have things figured out. Like we have had a lot of projects with Google. It's based like much more chaotic than <laughs> the situation that we have inside tourist and you know like the advantage they have is basically they have like hundreds of thousands of people i'm actually not sure how many they have but like and then they have like a golden goose that just prints money and then like with that you know you don't really need to think about like <laughs> efficiency and like uh, and then you can do like stuff like okr system which uh you know and that's just one example but some other example is like nps i also like if you look at it like from the statistical like angle it's just like a broken system 
Yeah, so I love talking about this. Yeah, I mean, I understand Google OKRs. There's definitely challenges with them. I don't want to get into all that. But MPS is interesting to me because it never seems perfect. I mean, I would definitely say it's not perfect. But I also look at it and I'm like, I'm not sure how to fix it. How would how would you fix it? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. Like, I don't have a better framework for that. But the thing is maybe like vanity metrics. And I think NPS is kind of a vanity metric. And maybe like finding something else, like for instance, for us, like something that we care deeply about is kind of like daily actives. And then like daily actives is defined for today's as like people that are completing stuff. And then like, you know, looking at that data, maybe looking at cohorts on that, like tells you maybe a much better picture than like asking like random people to rate you from zero to 10, you know, like. <laughs> yeah, uh, no, no, I get it. But then I'm thinking like, well, let's take a company that's building the, you know, the to-do is competitor, right? And they, they launched it out there and their daily actives are great. They don't do anything as far as NPS or any way to look at satisfaction. You know, they think they're all happy. And then they, what they find is a month in, like their retention just starts cratering, right? No indicator until it's too late, right? So like one of the things that you can think about NPS is, is it is an indicator of future action. What would you replace that with? Yeah, I mean, the thing we have replaced it with is basically like a few node star metrics that we like monitor and care deeply about. Yeah, and the, the problem is, I mean, I don't know, you know, I could go on a bigger rant about NPS and actually like there's, there's an article, probably many articles that are written about like why it does not really make a lot of sense to look at it that way. You know, this said, you know, people use that. Maybe it's better than using nothing, but like for, for us. So what, what, when we dig a little deeper, I understand like daily active users, uh, how many are daily versus monthly ratios, all that kind of stuff I think is great. What are your your metrics that you look at beyond DAUs? Yeah, so that's another thing is like you can actually go in and then find like a ton of metrics. And honestly, I think that's kind of also a broken model. So like I would rather have like a few numbers. So for instance, for us, like for the company, it's basically like revenues per employee. That's what we care about. Yeah. There's one number. For product, you can basically have like, especially like if you go deeper into the product, it's maybe like activation like how good are you actually at activating people? You know, retention, like how good are you at retaining people? Those would be like, I think, much more healthy metrics than uh, a random survey of people like a- asking them how they- Yeah, no, because, I absolutely uh, agree. Yeah. Uh, so you look at revenue per employee because that's a great metric as far as, you know, how efficiently you run your company. You look at retention because obviously, you know, retention in the SaaS world, Retention means ARR over the long term, you know, and yeah. then you also look at, you know, activations, which is kind of starting people on that whole, you know, lifetime value curve. Anything you guys use for trying to be predictive about churn? Like I can understand retention, but once you're looking at those numbers, it's all kind of and you're making changes to improve things going forward. Is there anything you guys look at to try to show that there's indicators of, you know, things moving in the wrong direction? Yeah, honestly, I think like something that we find super useful in a lot of cases is based on cohort analytics. Yeah. So, so you know, like, because that kind of tells you, like, if you just look at numbers in an aggregate, it doesn't really tell you much. Like, while if you look at, for instance, like, I can take a look and see, like, last week's signups, how are they actually doing compared to, like, a month ago? And then we also have, like, segmentations, so, like, we can look at specific features, how they are used. So, if we are doing something, let's say that we're improving the quick ad, we would actually expect, you know, the usage to increase. And then we can take a look at that and see, 
did that actually happen or not? And then the same thing is kind of like the cohorts also are just like a great way to kind of think about like retention of features as well and stuff like that. So honestly, like that's our like master tool is like cohort analytics that we use. Yeah, no, huge, huge fan of that. And I love what you're doing on the feature side too, because a lot of people like, you know, think about it was like, okay, I launched this feature, I'm done. And I'm like, no, 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 wait a minute. Like you have to actually see if it's making an impact with your customers, if they're using it, if it's, if it's changing, like the amount of people that are using it in a positive direction, if it's delivering value, that kind of stuff. So I, I think it's awesome that you guys are tracking that information. Yeah. And honestly, like that is super useful. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of times, you know, like also something that we are kind of like trying to get away from is like being data driven. Like we are mostly like data informed and especially like, you know, what we have also tried is like, you know, we have been at this for many years. What you figure out is like, there's no silver bullets. <laughs> and also like, it's very hard to predict the future and like how somebody will react to something. So like, for instance, like setting a goal, for instance, like let's improve retention by 5% or 10%. Like you can set that goal, but like good luck with that, uh, trying to figure out which feature will actually bring that and like how do you actually, like you just need to try stuff and like look back and see like what kind of facts did it have. At least like that was like our experience, like with trying to be like more data driven. Yeah, I'm not sure like what, what your experience has been on this front. Like maybe we are doing it wrongly. No, I mean, I, I you know, the words data driven, data informed. I mean, I don't think anyone wants to be like, you know, blinders on doesn't consider anything except the underlying numbers because, you know, what do they say about statistics? You know, <laughs> there's lots of things that can lead you down the right path, wrong path. Uh, there's lots of things that can lead you down the right path too. So I do think everything needs to be taken in context. And I am a big fan of iteration. You know, quick, fast iteration experiments are probably the most important thing, right? Because the market's changing, the world's changing as you're doing this. So spending too much time, you know, coming up with the perfect solution to growth or retention or whatever it happens to be, you know, is based upon yesterday's variables, right? So if it's taking you a long time to roll something out, the market potentially has changed, your customers' needs have changed, how they approach things has changed, something, you know, is likely changed in some part. So I'm a big fan of doing things quickly, iterating, but constantly experimenting on things. Like it sounds like you guys do. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> that's what we do. So talk to me about the future. What do you, I mean, we're obviously living in a remote world right now, you know, because of the pandemic. I, I imagine that that's, that's potentially going to have ramifications even post-pandemic, right? Yeah, I mean, honestly, like I think we are moving like into a world and especially, you know, like for us, like we have for many years believed like the future of work is remote, asynchronous first and remote. And I think this pandemic has just been an acceleration of that. But, you know, like most people like do this in a bad way. So if you look at like how the typical worker right now, like knowledge worker works, is based like being stuck in Zoom calls and Slack rooms all day long. And that's definitely not how we envision like the future to be. So we envision like a future where you can basically live anywhere and you can basically have an amazing life as you see, like, like some people like to surf, other people, you know, like to be with the kids or whatever, like people want to do and also live wherever you want in the world and then have also an amazing job because that's also something that, that I think is like underappreciated is like, is the first time in like human history where you can get like amazing job regardless of where you live. Like you don't need to live close to your work. So that so has Bar kind of Barcelona, your favorite place to live? Like, is that yeah. the place of anywhere in the world you'd live? Yeah, I mean, you know, and that's something like I have been in this space for a long time. Like me and my wife, we actually visited 
the cities that we wanted to live in. And then we stayed there for like a few months to kind of get a feel for the city. And then we picked Barcelona because honestly, like it's really like amazing work-life quality. Like we don't actually know anybody in Barcelona. We have been here like for like when we started four years ago, like we basically came here, didn't know anybody and just like built our social circle from that. But honestly, like it has also been super tough to do that because it kind of sounds amazing. But <laughs> there's a reason like why most people just don't do what we are doing because you need to like recreate your social circles, kind of reintegrate into like the local community and stuff, which is quite tough to do, honestly. Especially what other cities did you spend two months in? I'm curious. I mean, we kind of had like um like Madrid was another city we look at, Berlin, Copenhagen, New York, San Francisco. And then also like my wife is from Santiago, Chile. So of course, like Chile was also like on the consideration. So what was city number two? What was number two on the list? I mean, that's actually Santiago, Chile, just because like we have family there. We already have like social circle there. We also were like really gung-ho about like Berlin, but then like, you know, the German language and stuff like that, like <laughs> that wasn't like so appealing as like, because we, we like I speak Spanish and my wife uh, natively. So like Spain is just much easier to do than than German yeah yeah no I remember traipsing around some back restaurants in uh in Barcelona and my my Spanish is a little weak you know high school Spanish coming back is you know I can get some things across but that was a little tougher so what else as far as trends for the future yeah I mean we basically want to kind of build the future of work like be part of this like create tools create processes so you know that's basically where we're all in to and then also, we have not really talked a lot about like Twist, which is like our team communication tool that's kind of asynchronous first, which we have been building for the last few years. And we are very excited about, especially, you know, that nobody else in the market, like everybody's just like copying Slack and, you know, synchronous as default and stuff like that. And nobody is really like valuing like deep work, like ability to actually disconnect, ability to just like also communicate like in a deeper way than, you know, one-liners. So that's one aspect. And of course, for today's, like we have a ton of ideas there as well. We are super excited of just like, you know, helping people, you know, become better at like managing their work, managing their life. That has been a huge mission for a long time. So uh, outside of Doist, yeah. what, what other trends do you see in tech that are interesting? Yeah, I mean, something that I'm like deeply into is like crypto. I know like crypto has a very bad, <laughs> uh, but honestly, I think like this will have like a huge impact so like, especially like something like decentralized finance, like rebuilding the finance from the ground up and making like digital, I think that will be a huge, huge trend. And, you, you know, like there will be a lot of like second order effects based on this. So for instance, like how we structure companies, like equity management, I, I'm not sure like if you have managed equity, but it's like a freaking like, you know, system that's built like hundreds of years ago, maybe hundred plus years ago. And it still kind of works in the same way. And it's like really, really bad, like <laughs> on so many levels. And we can just make it much more effective and also much more powerful. Like you could imagine a system where, you know, everybody kind of has equity in the stuff they contribute to. It can be employees. It can also be like developers that are building on top of your platform and stuff like that. So I think like there's some exploration here, but that's just like one tiny aspect of like this decentralized finance system. You know, a lot of stuff that we currently have is also just like 
not working that well. Like a lot of people in the world also still don't have like a basic like bank account. So there's still a lot of work cut out for us. Yeah, so that's one trend. Another in of, of course is like artificial intelligence. I think in product development, this will become like super, super critical. We can see this like in consumer space, like TikTok is basically like, you know, an AI algorithm <laughs> that, that presents you stuff. But I think also like in work, this will also be very, very critical for the future. Like, you know, just removing grunt work for people and like enabling them to work on like more meaningful stuff. So that's one element that we are actually going to invest a lot in is based like, you know, how do we remove grunt work from people? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think both of those things are interesting. I mean, I, I was just reading Ascent of Money, which is an interesting chronicling of kind of the history of finance of the world and how it's changed, written by uh, Ferguson, I think is the historian's name, uh, which I found utterly enthralling. And when you think about that in, in today's world of crypto and also, you know, the world of, you know, modern monetary theory, you know, we could, we could spend a lot of time. That would be a fun thing to chat about sometime, maybe not on the podcast, uh, <laughs> but I do think that's all interesting. And it is interesting too, on the AI side, like how that's changing, how product managers need to think about how machine learning can impact their business and how they can, you know, focus that in the right ways to, to provide values to their customers and then there's the whole downside to that, like bias of algorithms. Like, does it keep showing me stuff I like? And therefore, I like that stuff more. And, you know, it gets narrower and narrower. I mean, you hear about that a lot in things like dating applications and stuff like that. Well, cool. I mean, this has been a lot of fun. I got two final questions for you. What's your favorite product? Yeah. You know, I, I would just like pick one that I think is like super, super hard to do right. Because I have like, and it's Stripe. So we have before like used some crappy products like PayPal that are just like horrific on so many levels. And then you use Stripe and just like it works and it's like beautifully made and it's very easy to kind of use. Of course, like it's kind of development based product, but you can just kind of like see how the world was before, which is kind of PayPal. And then you see the new world of like Stripe and it's just like beautiful. Yeah, so that's probably one of my favorite. I think like they deserve all like the the credits they have gotten over the years because it has saved us a lot of, lot of time and like pain. <laughs> yeah, I can understand that. I'm a, I'm a big fan of Stripe myself. So, final question for you: three words to describe yourself. I'm a creator, so <laughs> yeah, I liked creating stuff. So that's probably like why I still like do stuff on like the more creating a level than, you know, managing. Um, I, I think also like I'm ambitious as well. And then the last one would be to kind of counter that a balanced. So that's why like one of our core values kind of ambition and balance, like trying to make a difference in the world by doing it without like burning myself in the process. So that's something that I always try to like keep these like two forces at bay, you know, like kind of yin and yang, like uh, in a balance. Uh, yeah. Well, sweet. I enjoyed this. We'll, we'll have to touch base and talk about money at some point. Crypto and money. <laughs> that sounds <laughs> like an awesome here. episode. Yeah, I would love to do a deep dive on that. Yeah. This has been fun. Thanks again for joining us today. Thank you for having me. It was a real pleasure. <laughs>